The world is old and the powers are weary. The god at the door of night has fallen and the great enemy of the world has come back from the timeless void. The shadow has awakened the great evils to regain dominion over Ardar. Darkness shall cover the land if not for the deeds of a small fellowship of elf friends. Join the players of this Dungeons and Dragons campaign as they fulfill the events of the Dagor Daggeroth prophecy and strive with Morgoth on the plains of Valinor. Welcome to the Undying Lands in Part 3 of the Inglorian Bastards Trilogy, Trials of the Valor. Well, well, Alan, um, I, I think you were going to read us sort of the, the first part that the characters learned from, from, from Meryl in Cortirian. That's right. So I'll go ahead and read that. Thus spoke Mandos in prophecy, when the Valar sat in judgment in Valinor, and the rumor of his word was whispered among all the elves of the West. When the world is old and the powers have grown weary, Morgoth, the black foe of the world, seeing that the guard sleepeth, shall come back through the door of the night out of the timeless void. And all shall be darkness, for the sun he will turn to black and the moon will no longer shed his light. But the host of Valinor shall descend upon him as a searing flame, white and terrible. Then shall the last battle be gathered on the fields of Valinor. I really wish I could read like you. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wish I could read like him too. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, in in this, you know, we, we learn, um, there's a few things that I pulled out of this for, for our adventure. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so we, we, we learn lots of things, right. The, the first thing, one of the first things we learn is that the powers have grown weary yeah and yeah um, and 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 then you know for the for the purposes of our adventures the characters then had to do things to bring about the last battle because the the valar couldn't they were weary yeah i mean this idea of the valar having grown weary this is a really germanic concept this comes yes, straight out of norse mythology and um there's there's a there's an assumption that the Norse gods are immortal in the same way that, say, the Greek gods are, you know, things like that. They just they never die. They're forever young. And and that is partly true. However, they're they have to go to great lengths to keep their youth. There's there's mm -hmm. all kinds of myths about you know, like golden apples and things like that, that they have to to eat so that they keep their yeah. youth. And so talks injections, you know, exactly that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but but so this this idea of even the gods, little g gods, growing mm -hmm. weary is, is a very Germanic thing. And I think it's the first thing that, to me, as I, as I sit and read this as a somebody who's been playing around in world mythologies all my life, that to me is like, yep, that's, that's straight yeah. out of Norse myth. And I just think yeah, that's, it it, it's one place where Tolkien is really showing his influences. Hmm. Well, let's, let's go to the next part here where it says that the, the guard uh, sleepeth and, and then and that will allow Morgoth to come back through the door of night out of the yeah. timeless void. I, I think, I, honestly, I think the the first thing I think of is, you know, when you read the Silmarillion and you think, oh, took care of Morgoth, he's gone. And yeah, okay, Sauron's still around, but we'll deal with Sauron later. Right. Well, this reminds us that you can't get rid of Morgoth forever. No. And well, he's, he's an Ainu. He's, a, he's a, an yeah. offspring of the thought of Iluvatar. You can't right. destroy him any more than you can right. destroy the and, other Ainu. Exactly. And you can't even lock him out of creation forever. He will come back in. And that makes me think of stuff that we've been talking about in our last two seasons, Alan, with the circle yeah. of light. Absolutely. You know, the, the, this idea, this the Beowulf again, very concept. Germanic idea from Beowulf of 
of the the monsters are just waiting just outside, just yeah. outside the gates, just outside the the doors, just outside. They can the hear the music in our halls. You know, they can hear and, the celebration, and that's making and it makes them, them mad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so here our party, and they're mad they weren't invited. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's that reminder that Morgoth is eventually oh, yeah. going to come back. Yeah. Yes, he will. Well, there's the, there's this other piece here that we're kind of glossing over that the guard sleepeth, and the guard is obviously that. a reference to Arendelle, right? Then with the Silmaril. I maybe maybe not. I don't know. Um, I mean, Arendelle is on is on patrol. He's on patrol. That's true. He, he, yeah. So, but, who, but hmm. I, I wonder though because I. I mean, come See, on, Arendel. Wonders, Arendel it, can't make a mistake like that guy. <laughs> no, on. of course not. Never. Uh, here's the thing. He's outside in the timeless void at this point. My wonder is, is the guard that we're talking about on the inside of the door? And if so, how in the world does Morgoth knows he's asleep and therefore can come through the door? Or is there some sort of guard on the other side of the door of the night mm-hmm. keeping watch over Morgoth? And that's the guard who's unnamed, unidentified, unimaginable, who is sleeping and therefore Morgoth can then sneak out the door. I mean, it's almost like, is this jail guard on the inside of the cell or on the outside of the cell? Well, you bring up jails and it makes me think of Mandos. And I wonder, I wonder you know, the same thing. we know that we know that Mandos looks, Could he be his, the guard. His halls look West, right? Beyond yeah. the circles of the world. And maybe, maybe Mandos or somebody in Mandos is. Yeah. One of his, one, one of, of his, his charges. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're the ones who are watching this. I mean, that does, it's it sort of goes with the first part of that sentence about the powers growing weary, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, it does absolutely. So does. maybe maybe it's the Valar, although it, it could be Arendel. I, I don't know. It's it, it's tough. I like the idea. Arendel moves Valar, about though. though. He does, I mean he's on patrol, but he he's not a he's not stationary. That's true. So I don't. True. I would tend to think that it's not him. That it is either one of the Valar themselves, like Mandos, or one of the Maiar that is set with that task. A. Rendell's a beat cop. He's not on. He's not stationed. Yeah, he's not staking out somebody, right? So, yeah. And he, yeah, he's not on jail. He's not on on guard duty. That's interesting. So yeah. The the lay um, that we're going to hear a little bit later. Um, it, obviously, we took it from from our story, the the campaign story, and the way sure. that I interpreted this, um, I borrowed on a line that we're going to read a little bit later about the Silmarils being um, essentially reassembled. Um, and so the way that I took this was that the guard was Arendil and that, okay. and, and that he would, um, if he, if he sort of failed at his task somehow, um, and in our story it's that, and Caligon comes back and gets revenge on him and knocks him out of the sky. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, which, yeah, that's, I know it's a little far-fetched, but, but anyway, so no, cool. the fact that he sort of came back to earth so to speak, with his Silmaril um, mm. sort of fit in mm. with the next part, right, where the Silmarils were uh, obviously going to be found and they were going to use them to rekindle the trees. But let's, Alan, you want to do part two? Yeah, Sean's, Sean's called dibs on part three. So I've got this shorter part here. And this is where they, they learn part of the prophecy in the House of a Hundred Chimneys, right? Right, from Gil Fannin, correct. Yeah. In that day, Tulkas shall strive with Morgoth, and on his right hand shall be Aonwe. And on his left, Turin Turambar, son of Hurin, returning from the doom of men at the ending of the world. And the black sword of Turin shall deal unto Morgoth his death and final end. And so shall the children of Hurin and all fallen men be avenged. 
And uh, I love that part of the story. The oh, idea that is so great. Gets so great back. Oh, love yeah. It. I mean, out of anyone in the in in any of the um, volumes, yeah. really, really, Turin got the short end of the stick. Well, he sure did. I mean, <laughs> did. granted, most of the time it's because he gave himself the short end of the stick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, things things really could have been better. And I love that. You know, here's a guy who is tremendous combat prowess right he is a field general he's he makes mistakes like building a really big bridge to get an army across but it's because he wants to fight he's really good in fighting and we all what do we know about aonwe right the uh the valaquenta tells us that aonwe is actually the mightiest in arms in all of arda he's better than any of the valar when it comes to fighting with weapons so tulkas who's the strongest and you know big bad wrestler dude and then you've got the big bad, you know, martial guy with the, the swords in the own way. And then you know what you know what it's like. This weapon. is like this is like Fezzik and Inigo Montoya. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. Tolkas right. is the big burly giant guy. He's the grappler, yeah. right? And yeah. Aonway is the swordsman. You know. Yeah. And then Turin, thankfully, is not Fazini. Fazini, yeah. No, yeah, we don't <laughs> have a Fazini here. But but Turin is probably the man in black, actually. Oh, you are. He really is the man in black. Ah, if, yes. if Buttercup was Wesley's sister. Oh, oh. Uh, too soon. Oh, come on too now. Soon. <laughs> too Sorry. soon. As you wish. Yeah. <laughs> in, in our in our story, Turin is the man in black. He um so the the whole sort of plot device that I use to bring back things like in Caligon and Turin Turinbar. Mm-hmm is this Maiar called that I called Gwarthauer. And he mm-hmm. had this he had this ability to sort of bring people back from the dead. And that's that's how we got oh, to meet all of these wow. fantastic people. Yeah. We know that's wow. a lot more powerful than, than the genie in Aladdin. <laughs> you can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty sight. <laughs> uh, so so in the story here, um Turin's um uh, terrible, ill-fated story continues, yeah. and um, and in our story, Gwarthauer brings him back, and he brings back um, Mim the Dwarf, Beleg Kuthalion. Oh, wow. oh Beleg's back! And, and Fenwilas, the three people yeah. whom he ended up killing accidentally. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and he um, he also Gwarthauer brings back um, Glaurung and Turin rides him into battle in the Pass of Light against the characters until he is freed of the spirit. Whoa. Yeah, so so it's trying Whoa. to highlight to the characters what a just a terrible existence he's had and oh, yeah. <laughs> and how he's yeah. and and if you know going back to some of the stuff that we were talking about with uh, with Tolkien's intentions with this work, you know you that quote from Verling Flieger about how it came from uh, Norse mythology and the biblical apocalypse. Yeah. This is where I feel like you're getting some of the biblical apocalypse stuff coming in. Well, and, it, and it's very much about writing wrongs, right? I feel like yeah, the rest of this is. prophecy is very much about writing the wrongs of the world. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the world turned out badly the first time around. We're going to fix it. We're going to make it the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. That's big yeah. right into Einolite. We're going to get that in your reading, Sean, because that's that's yeah. when we talk about what yeah. happens to Arda itself. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. This, is, but you're, this is this is sort of that Armageddon see, bit. That that's the, the absolutely right. Out. You're starting mm-hmm. to see that here because Turin, this guy who's made all these terrible mistakes, yes. finally gets a chance to make it better. To make right. It right. You know, now that I think about it, we got a little bit of that in the last reading, though. The last battle being gathered on the fields of Valinor very much feels like 
the Battle of Armageddon. Yeah. You know, and, and this sort that's of this true, massive yeah. collection of, of yeah, armies. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, that's you're true. right. This is definitely where we start to see the the blend a little bit more here, mm-hmm. a little bit less Norse and a little bit more Judeo-Christian. Yeah. All right. Well, well, Sean, you want to do part three? Yeah. Okay. So part three is the part of the prophecy that we learned from Idril in the Tower of Pearl. Mm. Thereafter shall the earth be broken and remade. And the Silmarils shall be recovered out of air and earth and sea. For Feanor shall surrender them willingly. Yvanna will rekindle the two trees, and a great light shall come forth. And the mountains of Valinor shall be leveled, so that the light shall go out over all the world. In that light the Valar will grow young again, and the elves awake and all their dead arise, and the purpose of Iluvatar be fulfilled concerning them. But of men in that day... The prophecy of Mandos doth not speak, and no man it names, save Turin only. <laughs> yeah, so we get a lot of nuggets out of that one, don't we? Yeah, yeah we do. so yep. much, again, of that writing of wrongs. But, you know, Jared, I'll let you get us started. Yeah, well, you know, the, the things that I took out of this were that, first of all, the Silmarils, we were going to we we're going to see all three of those again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Feanor, Feanor has learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He yeah. made a mistake the first time around, and now he's going to get a chance to do it right. Absolutely. And I, and I think, yeah, that t- touches on the sort of writing of wrongs, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Feanor will surrender them willingly to Yavanna and to, mm-hmm. so that they can rekindle the two trees. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this, this part for us in the campaign, uh, I called this part the trials of the Valar, right? The, the yeah. Valar being weak and weary, the characters had to do all of these things. They had to go find a, a Malor nut and a sapling of Nimloth. They had to find, oh, cool. they had to re, uh, reforge the chain that bound Morgoth. Mm. They had to refill the wells of Varda. And they had to um, a sort of assemble all three Silmarils um, so that all of these things in the prophecy could come to be. That's super cool. And I, and I love the idea of giving, um, giving, you know, people, mm-hmm. you know, elves, men, the children of Iluvatar, giving, giving people a chance to, to take a part in that as opposed to just, you know, like you said, the Valar are weary. So yeah. we're going to have to do it for Except them. for Tulkas, he's never weary. No, he, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that, actually. Yeah. Uh, Tulkas, man. No, no, I mean, no, no. he no, is. No. He sleeps. <laughs> do, do we well do we played. want to talk a little bit more about Arendel here? Because I actually have a mm-hmm. I have a well, an you always want to talk more about it. That's true. I do. <laughs> yes, please, because, please. Because as we're talking about the Silmaril, specifically the Silmaril that's going to be recovered out of air. So looking at uh, one of the many versions of this text in uh, in the history of Middle Earth, Tolkien writes that Arendel shall descend and surrender that flame which he hath had in keeping, yeah. and. I have I have an interesting thought about this because, uh, as we said a moment ago, we haven't had a chance to talk about this on our show with any of our guests. But I did have a chance to talk to Corey Olson about this story at TexMoot earlier this year. So TexMoot is one of the regional moots that that Signum University does all over uh, all mm-hmm. over the world, actually. Yeah. And uh, this one was in Texas in February, right before all the moots started going online, <laughs> back when yeah. we could still meet in person. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Corey was talking about the Dagor Dagoroth. And, of course, I had to raise my hand and say something about Eärendil. And he said, well, you know, what I think is going on here is Eärendil surrendering the Silmaril is actually him finally getting to rest from his labors. Yes. yes. So 
So we we talk about if we read whether you want to read the the version of A. Rendell's story that Bilbo tells in the Hall of Fire in many meetings, or if you want to go back to the version that's in the Silmarillion, there's always this idea of A. Rendell accepting this burden to carry the Silmaril and to patrol the skies. And he accepts this burden. He, he, he totally accepts it willingly. But at the same time, it's a tremendous sacrifice for him because he would love to come back to Middle Earth. He would love to come back and see people again. He'd love to return to his home. And he yeah. can't do that. And one of the things that I've started to think about with this passage after talking to Corey about this is this, to me, is another writing of a wrong. This is not that it was wrong for A. Arendelle to accept this burden because it was right and it was a tremendous sacrifice that he did. But now there's not as much need for him to do it. There's no need for him to do it now because it's it's the last battle now. He can lay down his burden and he can finally rest. And so to me, this is another writing of a wrong. I know you had a different take on it, Jared, but that's that's oh, sort yeah. of how no, I read it. Fantastic. And and I'm looking at the Dagger Dagger F in a totally different way now. I mean I'm I'm seeing closure all around. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's well, uh, credit to Corey Olson with uh <laughs> with publicly uh schooling me on that one. But yeah, I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's a fantastic insight. We have been publicly schooled by a number of these Tolkien scholars. We have so many times. Flieger, Dr. Flieger embarrassed me this uh, last week for sure. <laughs> Twice, actually. Once on the show in the recording, and then once I asked her a question after a keynote. And I forgot the one thing you got to remember when you talk to Dr. Flieger. Never assume you can ask her a question and she won't ask you one ask back. You one oh, back, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I got distracted by somebody in Slack. The way MythMoot worked digitally is we were in go to webinar watching the talks and then we were simultaneously in slack chatting back and forth with other with other attendees so i got distracted with a slack conversation as she was starting to answer my question and she asked me a question and i didn't know it and the next thing i hear is that wasn't a rhetorical question i'm like oh, oh, god. No. oh my gosh i'm so embarrassed oh no it, she is you know awesome. what honestly awesome. it didn't it didn't sound as bad to everybody else as it did to you i i heard it, it well that's because it was dr Flieger. you're you, you this that's oh, yeah. the kind of thing that you stay up nights thinking about afterwards <laughs> believe <laughs> me true. i did i did i was oh, mortified <laughs> Well, let me take us on to. Um, I, I'm already convinced that this episode is going to go is going to be a two parter. <laughs> uh, I think that's obvious now, sir. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. Well, um, let me read the sort of the part that I embellished a little bit, and I pulled a lot of this out of the published Silmarillion. Um, and the, this, the characters, this is the very last part that they learn from the Vanyar king in Imarin. The great music of the Ainur will make together with the children of Iluvatar in the end of days will be more splendid than the first music of the Ainur as the children will participate and every participant will fully understand the intent of their part and be in harmony with the others. Iluvatar will give to them the secret fire. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so (laughs) it was a conglomeration of things from the Silmarillion. Yeah. But it it was a nice, nice kind of ending to the, to the prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. And I, and I think it, it echoes some of the themes that we've been talking about, right? It, it talks about the writing of wrongs, the closure, as you put it, and, yeah. and sort of the doing it right this time, you know, the mistakes were made. Mistakes. <laughs> mistakes were made. Mistakes were mistakes made. Were made. <laughs> um, that is so true. Something uh, starts with Mel and ends with core. Something <laughs> core. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but now we're we're getting a chance to do it right, and everybody's going to take part. And yes, and I like the idea that you know it's it's kind of open ended here that it could be all the children of Iluvatar, not just the elves, 
There will uh, be. Yeah. Maybe not just the elves and men. Maybe the dwarves have a part in this too. Maybe. And, I mean, they are Iluvatar's children. They're just the children. They're his adopted children. Adopted yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I know I remember reading somewhere that the dwarves believed that they will play a part in remaking Arda yes. after they the do believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's in. But they will serve Ali. That's in the of Ali and Yvonne, Tomeran, I right? believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so guys, we, we have, um, so I, as a way to end this three-year journey, I decided that I needed to write a lay, sort of the way that the lay of Lathian was written. Although if you say so, sir, yeah, I, I, Sean, if you expect me to write any sort of poetry for the end of the Prancing Pony podcast, just (laughs) disabuse yourself of that notion right now. Well, let's, let's not talk about the end of the Prancing Pony podcast. (laughs) Let's just keep that going. The road goes ever on, you know, Uh, um, but uh, right. so so anyway so this so I decided to write this lay um, and I you know I broke it into um, I broke it into sections um, sort of the way of the lay of Lathian is written it's, it's much more abbreviated but I tried to sum up everything that happened in the campaign while tying in parts of the dagger Daggerath. and it was in writing this that I discovered more to my story and um, I, and I, and I think um, you, did you guys want to ask some questions before we, before we play the lay? I actually do have a question. Yeah. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we've seen in Tolkien's version of the story, obviously Turin plays a huge part in it. Um, He definitely plays a part in your lay as we can, as we'll see in a moment. But I want to ask you a little bit about this image of the sister swords. So, In the very first stanza, you mentioned Sister Swords of Malice. Towards the end, I think we're looking at the third to last stanza here of the Silmarils and of Iron Fire. Uh, We see that the the smiths of old, black blades expire, are forged as one, now Iron Fire. So if I'm I'm reading this correctly, I'm seeing that there are these two swords um, that are somewhat opposed to each other throughout the lay, and then they're brought together as one. Now, when we talk about two swords, and because my because my brain is on Turin, because we've been talking about uh, the Dagar Dagarath, I'm thinking immediately of Anglichel, Anglichel. or, or Gorthang, sure. and uh, Anguril. Uh, Anguril. Anguril. Anguril, yeah. yeah. The two yeah, swords so that were made by Aeol. So yeah. that, that, that's actually really, um, that's a, re- a really great point. And um, it, it is the thing that I discovered as I was, as I was writing this, um, what I discovered in my story was that um, that the swords were going to play sort of the central piece of this lay. Um, and okay. in our campaign, it was a the, the campaign was focused on the first part of the campaign was focused on a um, uh, it was in the third age, but they found this old ritual that a uh, you know that a, a Numenorian had had sort of written up that was called the I think we called it Pterodon's Wager. The Pterodon's Wager was that if they could assemble all of these pieces together that they could find their way across the straight road. Um, and, oh, wow. and, and so the idea was that somehow Morgoth had tainted that ritual to bring about his uh, second coming or third coming, depending on how you want to call it. Sure. And so yeah. in writing the lay and to sort of summarize this, um, I took us all the way back to the first age where the, um, the Smith ale forges the two black blades of malice mm-hmm. and that and and so if i could read a little bit of the the, mm-hmm. the first stanza that we'll hear in a second um from darkest night in broken chain um i'm alluding to obviously morgoth in the void um having right. his binding the black foe sent the iron rain uh, i was referring to the sort of the meteorite containing the black swords mm-hmm. in stardust 
wooded dell and uh, into the stardust wooded dell excuse me as uh, Elmoth. that's nan Elmoth. okay yeah. yeah 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 the sisters swords of malice dwell and that's exactly how the silmarillion describes yeah. they they say that the swords have a bit of the malice of their um right um, crafter right. in them but i take it a little bit deeper there that they that they've been sent from Morgoth himself. Um, and yet through an age, they leave all thought except that of the giver's plot. And that's of course, Anatar. Um, and okay. he sort and he sort of places this, this idea in Noldor Smith, which would be the Smith of Celebrimbor where the characters right, right. find, right. find, okay. find the Gwythir Mirdine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, to issue forth prophetic myth. So that, that's the sort of the dagger dagger wrath. So, so yes. Yeah, so cool. the swords, that's, that's a really good point. The swords in, in some ways, Morgoth is the instrument of his own undoing. So this, the swords, you know, Anglahel obviously gets refor- reforged as Gurthang and, mm-hmm. um, is broken and is, is in, uh, we think maybe uh Tol Morwen, right mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then and then Ang- Anguarel sort of falls out of history right um, and we lose track of it but um right. in in our story the sort of the good guys the fellowship of light find Anguarel and and they serve and it sort of serves good and this Gwarthauer creature comes back and reforges okay. Gurthang um, and so in, in at the pass of light, eventually Turin and the characters end up battling each other and the sister swords hit each other and explode. And, mm-hmm. and, and the passage that you read is where they're reforged as one. And I found this, I, I, I struggled so much with what am I going to call this reforged sword? Because we know at the end, you know, Turin has to deal the final blow with this black blade, right? It didn't say which black blade, so I sort of took some liberties there. And I found this term that that Tolkien was going to use for something else, and it was this idea, this uh, this word called angruin, which mm-hmm. has the same root as anguarel and anglahel. Right. That's um, iron. Yeah. Iron, iron and fire, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so so that's where the name of this lay comes from. So that was that was a very good point. Thank you for bringing very that up. Very cool. Well, and then, so then I, I'm, I'm glad that I picked up on that image since it is, since it is so central to the poem. And, right. I, and I, what I love about, uh, about the, the swords being reforged as one at the end is it, it just seems to deliver on that theme of writing of wrongs, right. closure exactly. that we were talking about. You know, yeah, just, absolutely. You've got these two, two swords of malice that have done all sorts of bad things oh, in, the hands of, in the hands of Turin and in the hands of Aeol oh, and yeah, Eiglin. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so, and so now they come together and they become the sword that deals the death blow to Melkor. I think there's, there's a brilliant, uh, brilliant poetic closure to Mm -hmm. that. So yeah, there's a nice circle there. All right. Well, Sean and Alan, thank you again so much for coming on this journey with us. Um, it's been, it was, it's lived up to everything that I I knew it would be. (laughs) Um, I'm glad. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it really has been been our pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I just I just want to encourage my listeners. Um, I'm sure my listeners are also your listeners, but if they are, if they haven't checked out the Prance and Pony, please, 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 you you will you will so much enjoy it. And um, <laughs> we hope so. Yeah. And I and I I'm really looking forward to the next season. Is is there something you want to? Can you give us a little preview of that? Well, uh, you know, we're we're moving on to a new volume, right? We finished Fellowship of the Ring. It took us finished two years Fellowship. to get through yeah. that. Yeah. And so now we're on to the two towers. And so for an entire season, 
There will be no Sam or Frodo. Uh, well, except in our meanwhile elsewhere Middle Earth segments. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, be we'll be looking over the hedge to see what they're oh, up yeah. to. We will. Yeah, checking things but out on the other side. It's mostly going to be Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli. Yeah, some guy named Ao something. Ao, yeah, in there, I think the Lord of the Lord of the. Say, say it, and it's still the Lord of the Mark at this point. Yeah, but. that's true. The, the eventual Lord of the Mark. Yeah, yeah. We're we're looking forward to meeting the Rohirrim. We're looking forward yes. to meeting Treebeard. I'm looking forward <laughs> to yeah, fifteen to... episodes. No, just I, to get to the Treebeard dialogue. Yeah, we're gonna have to do short dialogue passages when we choose to read that because those yeah, will take forever. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to get to see Gandalf 2.0. Uh, we're going to get to do... We got Saruman oh, coming up. And yeah. We, oh, we got so much great I've got to come up with voices for Saruman, voices for Treebeard, <laughs> yeah. voice for Theoden. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be fun. The well, good guys, thing about Saruman is that, you know, you, you you just have to live up to Christopher Lee. Oh, shut up. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to take that approach. I haven't decided what I am going to do, but I've decided what I'm not going to do, and that's try to emulate Christopher Lee. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, thank you again so much for the listener. I'm going to leave them with The Lay of Angruin. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful piece. They're going to enjoy every bit of it. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose. 